You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, it's a classic line. Who's never seen Jerry Maguire? Anybody never seen Jerry Maguire? There's another line, famous line in there. You had me at... Hello, yeah. Well, uh, talking about uh, the love of money today, money is the root of all evil is the name or the title of the sermon, and I thought I couldn't think of a more appropriate clip than someone who was in love with money and saying, show me the money. But uh, I'm a, I have a men's retreat hangover right now, and uh, it's one of those mixtures. Some of you have been on men's retreats before where it's a combination of fatigue but a heart full of joy and exhaustion all kind of together. Had a great time, but let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love, and thank you, Father, for this snow this morning. It reminds me how your mercies are new every, every morning. It reminds me of your desire to wash us clean, for your desire for us to, to be holy. And I, I'm so grateful, God, that our, our sins are, are, are washed away and, and we're white as snow because of your grace over our life. I pray, Lord, that you just take a hold of this sermon this message, God, may your Holy Spirit work in and through me by your grace. Uh, we need you, Holy Spirit. So I know you're already here, but I want to formally invite you, Holy Spirit, come into this room right now. Minister to the heart of every, every man and woman, young and old, God. Would you have your way? Would you uh, tear down walls of pride this morning, of greed, of lust, of anger, whatever it is, God, that's preventing us from knowing you more fully. I pray that that's, that's exposed, and I pray it comes down this morning. Move here, Lord. We need an encounter with your Holy Spirit. Nothing else will do. And Jesus, we worship you. You are our Lord and Savior, the risen one, our mediator, our, our bright and morning star. And we worship you, Jesus. You are the one we worship. Thank you. Have your way here. It's in Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. 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 Well, it's good to, it's good to, be, uh, good to be at church. Talking, turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's not about the money. Can you do that? Just tell them it's not about the money. Uh, it's important for us to hear that um, um, because uh, for whatever reason, uh, when, when pastors talk about money, um, people might feel a little bit uncomfortable about it. Um, parents, have you ever bought anything for your, for your kids? Like, I know you have, but I'm thinking of like maybe taking one to McDonald's or something like that, or Wendy's or, or Chick-fil-A, that Christian chicken place. And have you ever, have you ever bought something for them and, and, and maybe they have their chicken sandwich and their French fries and, and then you, you ask them for a French fry and they give you the death look. Have you ever done that? And then you're thinking, I could have bought a truckload of French fries. I just want to know if you know where the French fries come from. I want to know if you know whose hand has fed you the fries. And, uh, and you, just want them, you just want to see them give you one. And, uh, and uh, if they don't give you one or if they're, they're, they're hoarding the, the, the whole, they don't want to share, there's something inside of you that says, you know, I could have bought my own fries. And uh, there's a lot of other things I buy for you that you're not aware of. I buy you clothes and I buy you shoes and I take care of you. And I just want one French fry. And it's kind of like, like our relationship with God. God provides for us, and He loves us, and He wants us to know Him, and He wants us to honor Him with every part of our life, including our finances. So I find it really interesting that in our world, we have this paper that has value. 
And with this paper, uh, we buy things, we go places to eat, we pay for things, we exchange products and services, all for, for paper. And, and, and God allows it to, to exist in our life. And in the midst of all this, God wants us to know that there's no one else like him, and he's the one who deserves it all. So it's not about the money. Um, the people say money is the root of all evil. This is a misquote from the Bible. Um, I, I ran across this tip jar right here. Um, it is misquoted. Money is the root of all evil. Cleanse yourself here. That's what it says. So put your tip. I thought that was pretty clever for whoever, the manager of that story. Did this. I'm going to jump right into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, because this is the verse right here that most people or many people misquote, and it, it, we're going to spend a lot of time in 1 Timothy this morning. It says this, for the love of money, um, let, let's read this out loud, for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Let's stop right there. Let's read that one more time. For the love of money is a root And the key word there is love. That's the key word. Now, we, this whole message could be summed up with your love for God. Because the things that you love, money is not a factor. Money is not a factor for the things that you love. Money is not a factor for the people you love. Parents, you know what I'm talking about with your kids. Grandparents, you know what I'm talking about your kids. Money is not a factor for the people you love. Money is not a factor for the things you love. And the question is revolving around your love for God. If it's there, do you have a love for God? If you have a love for God, you just want to know how you can worship him, how you can serve him. It's not about how much. In fact, reading God's word is not an issue because your love for God motivates you to spend time in his word. If you're not spending time in his word, if you're not living for him, if you're not giving, that's a reflection of your relationship with God. This is a spiritual issue. It's not a financial issue. You keep reading this, and this is in some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul's writing to younger Timothy about this. I think the question uh, we have to, you know, kind of work through is, is this you? Do you love money like this? I think if we, if we sat down and had coffee and we went out to Starbucks or whatever like that, I think 99% of people would say, this is not me. I think 99% of people would say, this is not me. And it's important to understand this verse in context. How do you know if you love money? Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. So it's this idea, and I'm sure you've been there before. I've been there before, too, as well, where we think, okay, when I make this much money, if I could only have this much money, I'm right here right now, but if I could only have this much, life would be so different, and if I had this much, then I would do this, and then I would do this, and we would do this, and then I would have this, and then, and then what happens is, you know, by the grace of God, you go up to here, and then you know what happens? Oh, if I only had this much, if I could have only much, just a little bit more, and then, and, then, and then, you know, by the grace of God, this, and then it's like, oh, if I only had this much, and it just keeps going up, it just doesn't stop. And this verse right here is talking about how money is never enough. 
There's never, never, ever any satisfaction. Um, as I said, we, we come back, came back from our men's retreat, had a phenomenal time. We had close to 70 people go to men's retreat. one of our biggest ever. Uh, here's a picture of us uh, in worship. And uh, God used our guest speaker in a beautiful way. Many people said this is the best men's retreat ever. Um, there's something powerful about men coming together and, and leaving their works and leaving their responsibilities and coming together and rearranging their schedule and crying out to God. There's something incredibly powerful about that. Um, and the Lord just moved in a special, special way. I was having a conversation with one guy, and he was telling me about how God is taking out pride and jealousy out of his heart and how he had this pride and jealousy that was just there and, and, and he had anger inside of him and he's telling me, and he was in tears telling me how God is doing this in his heart. And all I kept thinking about is, man, your woman is going to love you when you come back. That's all I kept thinking about is, wow, <laughs> she's going to get a whole new man. Another man tells me, Pastor, why is it when I go to church and when I'm here at men's retreat, something is happening inside of me? He said, I feel something inside, and I just start crying. Why am I crying? And I told him, that's the Spirit of God working inside of you, and the Spirit of truth revealing things to you that are profound and deep and soul deep. And he brings them up, and he shows you, oh, you need to deal with this, and he shows you his love and his grace and your sin, and it's all coming together, and you just start to weep. This next picture right here is a picture of me, uh, the first, uh, the first uh, <coughs> service. Our guest speaker, um, he asked me, he's a friend of mine, Ed Belzer, and, and he asked me when I was, we were going, leaving the house, he said, hey, Ruben, can I borrow a stick for a message? And I had no idea I would be the one holding the stick. So he invites me up front, and, and I'm holding the stick. And, uh, and uh, <coughs> as soon as he says, hey, Ruben, will you hold this stick? I knew where we were going at with the message as soon as he told me that. And I held that stick for the entire message, about 35, 40 minutes or so. I held the stick up. And right within five minutes of me holding the stick, someone saw my, my arms were, were doing this. And, and with two guys, without being asked, without being prompted, two guys jumped out of their seat and ran and held, held my arms the whole time. Amen. Held my arms up. It was a beautiful moment. And then another guy came up and helped, and they were taking turns holding my arm. And then another guy rushed up in front of me, and he got in front of the stick, and he just held it like this in front of me. Like just hold, they were all helping me hold up the staff. And the message was about Moses holding the staff when it was going down. The Israelites would get defeated, and when it was up, they were victorious, and that was the message. But you know what? There was something special that happened to me inside there. <laughs> Kevin was one of them that held it up for me. There was something special. It was, it was you know, being a pastor is hard. It's, it's hard. And those who hold up the staff, those are the ones who, who, who give, but those are the ones who serve every weekend also. Those are the ones who pray. Those are the ones who are in the fight with me. You know, talk is cheap, right? Talk is cheap. Those are the ones who are just in it with me. Those are the ones that when they see a problem in the church, you know what they do? They're part of the solution, I love it when someone comes and says, hey, there's a problem. I have an idea. Well, glory to God. Let's work that. Those are the ones that are saying, hey, I'm with you in this fight together. When they were holding the stick, I just started weeping because I, it was just so symbolic of my ministry. And, and I have so many wonderful, wonderful men around me that just hold up the staff with me. Beautiful moment for me personally. <clears throat> Another moment we had was around the fire. We do our, our famous soul walk where we write down something on a piece of paper that is keeping us from going to the next level in our relationship with God. 
so many beautiful things, private things. What happens at men's retreat stays at men's retreat, right? That were shared around that fire. We did communion around the fire as well. Beautiful moment. But I'll tell you, one guy says, you know, it was his first, first men's retreat, and he said, you know what? I just feel like God is like a customer at a thrift store. He just walks in and takes you as you are, as is. He just pulls you off the rack, as is. So many tears around this fire. My heart is full. Every men's retreat, we, we uh, coerce, we hogtie, we try to persuade people. We try to persuade men who don't like men to come to the retreat. We try to persuade people who don't like people to come to the retreat because God moves in such a dynamic, special way. We try to persuade people who that's not their thing, go and experience God because there is a beautiful thing and there's nothing more beautiful than the Spirit of God moving freely in the hearts of men. Husbands, fathers, sons, beautiful moments. I saw this one moment, I got to tell you, where the father went on the soul walk and the son was processing through so much and he was left behind. And there was another man ministering to the son of another father. And that son was in tears and they were praying together. That's the church right there, guys. That's the church right there. Sometimes the voice of another man matters so much. You know how it is as parents, you say something to your kid and they don't hear it and someone else says the exactly same thing and it's like, you know, a mirror, you know, it's like, wow, that's wisdom and you're thinking, I've been saying that to you for 30 years or 10 years or whatever it is. Yeah, but, but when it comes from another person sometimes and God uses other people for his purpose, for his glory. Beautiful time. How much do you need to be happy? How much do you need to be happy? You need to have so many dollars for your, Retirement, is that, is, that, is that the number? How much do you need to be happy? The ability to go to Starbucks? Or how much do you need? What is that number for you to feel secure? What does that look like? Here's the danger. There's this phrase that we ha- have just kind of maybe grown up with, and, and, and uh, we just kind of apply it to everything. And the, qu- the, the question is, how much will this cost me? How much will this cost me? Whether we go and we buy something off the rack, or we're we're at the grocery store, or we're buying a car, or a house, or whatever it is, how much will this cost me? And the thing that we want to know is we want a good deal on whatever it is. We want a good deal. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm pretty proud that I got these boots at a really good deal. So there's nothing, that's a good thing. But here's the problem. When you take that, how much will this cost me, and you apply it to your spiritual life? that's when you cross a line. Because your spiritual life is not like buying a pair of boots. Your spiritual life is about your relationship with God. It's completely different. God is the one who's responsible for the boots or whatever it is. But when you apply that, how much will it cost me to this? Then the question revolves around, well, what's the minimum amount I need to give to get all of your blessings, God? Don't be cheap with me. I'll be cheap with you, but don't be cheap with me, God. So you have to be careful about your attitude. I've discovered people who recklessly love God, their heart and their attitude is completely different. Same thing with reading the Bible. What's the minimum amount of the Bible that I need to read every day to be considered a spiritually mature Christian? You know what? I read the Bible so much early on in my years, I don't read my Bible anymore because I know everything in it. When you have the right attitude with God, a heart of worship and surrender, God moves accordingly. 
Money is a spiritual love issue. Paul says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by, by what? I did a little word study on this. This word godliness plus contentment equals great gain. That word contentment in the original Greek language, it has not to do with a self-sufficiency. It has to do with a Christ-sufficiency, which is totally different. Some of you have pride in your self-sufficiency. You don't ask people for help. You have resources, and that's all a blessing to have a resources. But this right here is, we're not talking about material We're talking about spiritual. And this verse right here says godliness. That means living a Christ-driven life, surrendered to God, fueling the fire of your worship to God, serving and loving God, loving people. Godliness plus contentment, that means a Christ-sufficiency. It literally means having all you need through the indwelling of Christ. Having all you need through the indwelling of Christ. Christ. Because you have Jesus, you don't need anything else. I'll take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. As long as I have Jesus, I'm fine. It's this contentment where I don't need to make this so much. I don't need this to happen in my life. I don't need this to happen. I don't need this to happen. All I need is Jesus. And if I have Jesus, then I'm completely content. It's a Christ sufficiency. We're Truly, God is all you need. He is your all in all, and you don't need anything, anything else. A Yale theologian said this, there are two kinds of richness in life, richness of having and richness of being. Think about this a little bit. Having is an external circumstance, and being is an inner experience. Our language often reflects when the haves keep popping up in our thoughts. If I could only have that job, or if I could only have that promotion, if I could only have that dream house, if I could only have that higher salary, if I could only have a better car, if I could only have enough money, and we we use the word have quite a bit, and rarely, rarely, rarely do we ever say something like, gosh, I just want to be. But there's a wealth in being There's a wealth in being. We want to be grateful. We want to be joyful. We want to be at peace. We want to be free from anxiety. You want to be generous. There's this wealth in being. This theologian went on to say, it is possible to have a barn full of money and a boatload of talent and movie star good looks and still be poor. The bottomless pit of our desires will never be satisfied. No matter how much we have, we remain not enough people. For not enough people, there exists no lasting soul satisfaction. Are you content with Christ if half of your income was gone? Would you be content with Christ? Would you be content if God didn't bless you in any way? If he just said, I'm going to be with you and that's enough, would you be content with that? God wants to be your all in all. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. 
So the whole message is God wants you to lean on him more than you lean on your income. God wants you to trust him more than the balance of your bank account. God wants you to trust him more than your retirement. God wants you to put your faith and hope in him because he's God and he wants all of your, 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 your worship and, and it delights God when you depend on him. It pleases God when you have your trust on him. Philippians, Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need for I have learned, oh, that's a big word. I have, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Does that describe you? Have you learned to be content with whatever circumstances happen in your life? For I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Sometimes our human nature is, okay, I'm at this level right here, and I'm not going to be happy till I get to this level. That's kind of the way we're driven. So I'm going to work really hard to get to this level, but God wants you to learn to be content at any level, wherever you're at, whatever happens. Don't put your hope in your money or your boss or whatever it may be, put your hope in God. Your happiness is not dependent on material circumstances. It's not. Verse 7, Paul said, For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. I love that picture of that naked baby right there. You didn't bring anything into the world, and there's no hearse that pulls a U-Haul. You've heard that. You won't be taking anything out of this world. Job said this, he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. He lost everything, and he had this awareness that everything he had was from God anyway, so it's God's choice to give or to take away. You came into this world with nothing. You'll leave this world with nothing. Ultimately, it's going to be you standing before Jesus Christ. Your husband, your wife, your man, your woman will not be standing with you. And you'll be accountable to what you did with Jesus. You'll be accountable for your worship, for your love, for, for, for everything. You will be accountable before God. We came into this world with nothing. There's a famous story uh, about a very wealthy guy who had uh, cancer and was dying. And uh, he told his wife he's going to put his briefcase full of money in the attic so that when he died, he would catch, you know, go, he would get the briefcase in the attic as he went to heaven. Well, he died <laughs> eventually, and, and, and the, the woman immediately went up to the attic, and sure enough, there was the briefcase full of money in the attic. And she told her friend, I told that old fool he should have put it in the basement so that he can grab it on the way down. <laughs> 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 you can't take it with you. <laughs> oh, Solomon said this, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed, and as on the day we were born, we can't take our riches with us. We can't. Paul goes on to say, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. 
You believe that? You believe that? <clears throat> Some of us have a hard time if we, someone just takes away our cell phone. We, we just go ballistic if someone does that. I like what Craig Rochelle said. He said, the riches are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Isn't that good? It's not those who have the most. It's those who need the least. Those are the rich people. Those who are just content. Just content. It's okay. I'm good with this. I don't need Let's look at this from a global context for a second. World population is estimated to be about 7.8 billion people on, in this world. That's the world population. Let me give you a little perspective here of, of wealth here. If you own your own vehicle, that puts you in the top 9% of the wealthiest people in the world today. If you own your own vehicle, you're in the top 9%. Top 9%. Let me just blow you away. This morning, I took my son. I got in, in I woke up out of bed, and, and I went to the bathroom, and check this out. I did my business in the bathroom, and I pressed this little lever, and I never have to see my poop again. It's so cool. Isn't that crazy? And then I went downstairs, and I, I got dressed, went downstairs, and I pushed this button. All I did was push a button, and the garage door just opened up like that. It was just amazing. And I got in my car, and I turned on my heater because I was cold, and I turned on my heater, and I drove my son to DIA this morning so we can fly back to Nashville. And, and I came back, and I looked at the temperature of the house, and I could, with a button, I could change the temperature in my house. I'm being, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. <laughs> and then I can go to Starbucks. I go to Starbucks and I get a drink. I get a venti blonde rose coffee just to help me pick me up kind of thing. And, and I, I got it like I wanted. And I, when I'm at home, I can turn on hot water or cold water. And if I'm thirsty, I can go get my, my cup and put it in my refrigerator and this filtered water comes out whenever I want. I am so rich. You don't believe me? 80% of our world does not own a TV. Over 1 billion people do not have access to clean water. 40% of the world do not have access to a toilet. 40% of our world. Think about that next time when you're on the throne. 48.2% of the world's wealth is in the hands of just 1% of the population. 80% of our world's population lives on $10 a day, 80% of our world. And the median household for the global population is less than $10,000 a year. We're rich. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you're stinking rich. Can you do that? You're rich. Wow. I think about, I think about, I think about the words of Christ to him, much is given, much is required. To him, much is given, much is required. We're so rich. The writer of Hebrews says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Isn't that interesting how the writer of Hebrews says it? We're talking about money, aren't we? But then he says, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. 
What can mere people do to me? He starts off talking about money, and, God, and then he says, you know what? It, it, but this is what you need to know. You need to know that God will never fail you. You need to know that God will never abandon you. You need to know that you could have your full confidence in God. He is your helper. He is your provider. You have nothing to fear. He will protect you. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. I want you to hear this. God will give you things that your money can't buy. Yeah, that's right. Peace of heart. God gives you that. The forgiveness of sins. How much did that? I mean, through Christ Jesus, because of the cross, we can experience the forgiveness of sins. Have you noticed God doesn't charge us for Wi-Fi because of our prayers? It's all free. God gives you joy. You didn't pay for that. That's the grace of God. God moves in your life and through circumstances. You didn't pay for that. That's the grace of God. He gives you sleep so you can sleep at night. He gives you peace. So you, that's the grace of God. The most valuable things in our world come from the hand of God. And he's the giver of it. God does crazy things. When you honor him with your life and every part of your life, I've seen it happen so much. You give here and you say, God, I'm going to worship you with this. And God does something over here and he gives you a really good deal over here. Or something happens over here and there's some unexpected income or it didn't cost this much or whatever it is. And that's God working. And you'll never know that if you don't take that step of faith. In the book of Revelation in chapter 3, there's this talk about this church. And it's, it's a church that... that uh, it's a Laodicean, and it's known to be a lukewarm church. The word lukewarm means it's neither hot nor cold. Now think about this. There's a purpose for hot water, isn't there? At times you want hot water. And there's also a purpose for cold water when, you, when you're thirsty, and, and, and there's a time for both. But what happens when you're lukewarm? Well, here in this church, Jesus says this lukewarm church is good for nothing. It's neither hot nor cold. And it's describing a type of Christian who's neither hot nor cold. He or she may go to church. He or she may do all the right things or whatever, but that person is not a threat for the kingdom of God. That person's neither hot nor cold. And then he says this. Francis Chan says this about lukewarm people and related to giving. He says, lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra, and it is easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Close to the truth right there, isn't it? You can call yourself a Christian and love your money more than your God. You can call yourself a Christian and trust your money more than you trust your God. Paul says this in verse 9, he says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation, and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Or women. Have you ever seen this before? Good night. <clears throat> Someone in the family passes away, and they have some wealth, and what happens? All the vultures swarm in, and they fight for, for stuff, and Families no longer talk to each other anymore because of the money, and someone stole this, and someone stole this, and they fight and claw to get as much. Have you ever seen that happen? 
Maybe in the workplace, someone fights for a promotion or whatever it might be, and they might lie or do whatever they need to do to get that, and they just want that, and, and they're willing to, to, to do things and compromise their faith, compromise their integrity, compromise their character because they want the money. You ever seen that happen? And Paul is saying those who want to get rich fall into these three things. They fall into temptation, a snare or a trap, and many... Foolish and harmful desires plunge them into ruin and destruction. That's the love of money. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 8. Here's these people. The seed that fell among thorns standing from those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not what? Mature. They don't mature. Has it ever dawned on you? that your growth could be stunted because of your love for money? Because of your love for money? The Pharisees loved money. And the Pharisees also knew the Bible extremely well. Paul says this in chapter 3. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, now we're talking about church, he or she desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. And look at verse 3. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be, what church? Isn't that kind of a little bit of a surprise? Must be gentle. And what are the next two words? Not. You know anyone who just likes to argue about stuff? Not quarrelsome. And then the last few words there says, and not love money. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I've seen as a pastor, and this happens in churches. When, when people grow in their faith, there's two things that are the last things that come under the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. Last two things. Typically, when someone turns to Christ, they open up their heart and they say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior, and might invite the Holy Spirit, and they learn to live a life of obedience. Let me just tell you, the last two things that trail along, I'm going to tell you one of them is money. Typically, one of the last things when someone comes to a church and they learn the biblical principle of giving and honoring God with a tithe, and that's one of the last things that people say, okay. Ooh, it's getting serious. Now I'll take that step of faith. Now I'll honor God with that tithe. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And sometimes it starts by little and it kind of, but that's typically one of the last things that comes around. Incidentally, when someone is dissatisfied with the church, guess what's the first thing that leaves? That they stop doing. They stop giving. This happens in churches all over the world. 
It happens in churches. I could tell stories of pastor. These are first encounters, my conversation with pastors. I've been told before, Pastor Ruben, you'll never guess what would happen in my church. People are not happy with the music, and one of my board members showed up and said, hey, if you don't change the music, I'm going to stop tithing. Another one was going through a building program. It was like a $2 million building program. And the senior adults in that, in that church said, if, if, if you don't change the music, we're going to stop giving to the building program. Whew. They're giving for the wrong reasons. It's about your worship to God. It's the wrong attitude. So anytime somebody, anytime somebody honors God, that's a huge, huge spiritual growth moment when they do that with their finances. And when you give for the right reasons and you say, I'm going to give this God as an expression of my worship to you, and whatever happens with that man or that music or that pastor that's irrelevant, I'm going to honor you because you are the one who deserves all the glory and I'm putting my faith in you. That's the right attitude. That's the right attitude. You know, let me tell you what the second thing is that typically lags behind when someone comes and they're growing in their faith. You know what the last, one of the last things that comes under the submission of the Holy Spirit, it's the tongue. It's one of the last things that comes under the submission of the Holy Spirit. If anyone has ever told you, why did you say that? That's an indication that you have no control of your tongue. If you say things and you know you shouldn't say them and you say them anyway, that's an indication that you're still spiritually immature and you need to grow. James says the person who can control their tongue is a mature or perfect or complete man or woman. Now we're entering my world a little bit. I'm praying, Lord, help me with my tongue. Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut than to say anything. Just because it's your opinion doesn't mean it's the right thing to say. It doesn't mean it's right either. Sometimes you should just keep your mouth shut and let God reveal to that person Sometimes it's not your job. Sometimes it's not your job. But the money and the tongue are typically the last two things that come under the submission of Christ. You might be able to put your thought life in there as well. That surrendered to Christ. Warren Buffett said this, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. <laughs> if you think about that, you'll do things differently. So true. So true takes a lot of times to build a reputation. What kind of reputation do you have? Paul said this. He said, And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many... First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. Let's go to... They pierced themselves... Let's go to that next slide. They pierced themselves with many griefs. You know what that word griefs mean? It literally means pain. Pains. Those people who have... Who have, who have longed for, for money and who love for money, they have pierced themselves. And Paul's cra- contrasting this craving to get rich versus the love of money. And they're two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. If you get angry when the church talks about money, that's a sign. Timothy Keller said this, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Listen to this. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service, in its chains. 
So you might look at this another way. What angers you? What angers you? Whatever that, when that anger bubbles up and, and, and you're angry because someone's trying to take this from you, when you're angry because someone's trying to rip this out of your hands, when you're, you, you're angry because someone, that's a sign that you worship it. What you get angry about is a sign that you worship. That is your idol. That's your idol. Paul goes on in the Colossians. He says this, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So, so, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And there, here it is mixed with all this. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Hmm. It's all mixed in there. There was a study done by Harvard, and they studied 4,000 millionaires. 4,000 millionaires. And these weren't normal millionaires. They were called deca millionaires. You know what a deca millionaires. That means their net worth is over $10 million. That's a deca millionaire. And here's what they discovered. In an ironic twist, the researchers found that there is one thing that deca millionaires can do to get even more happiness. Give it away. I know some of you are thinking, they can give it to me. Don't miss the point here. And you see that Bill Gates and Warren Buffett they're doing a beautiful thing. Bill Gates is working with sanitation projects and all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things trying to help across the world. It's beautiful, and their desire is to give it away. You know, you could, you, I, I, you, some of you, a lot, you're a, lot of, a lot of you are giving people. Isn't there great joy in giving? Those of you, a lot of you give, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. This whole men's retreat there was one person that gave a very, very large amount of money to men's retreat so that other people could go. And there were several other men who said, I'll take care of him, I'll take care of him, or I'll take care of him, and I'll send them, I'll let them, I want to support them. And because they gave, God changed a life. Because they gave, a man, his heart was changed by the Spirit of God. And it was because someone said, I want to give to that man. I'll sponsor that man. I can't go, but I'll sponsor him. I can't go, but I'll sponsor him. I've got him covered. Don't tell him I haven't. It's a beautiful thing. There is joy in giving. And those men, they heard a message from the Lord. They responded they ate steak and salmon. They worshiped God. They got fat, all because someone said, I'll support you. And they came back as different men. We had so many scholarships this year because people, other men said, I'll cover them. I'll cover them. I'll do it. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 6. He said, no one can 
serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be divided to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's hard. Our human nature is, well, I want to try to do both. And Jesus says, look, basically, your, your worship either is here or it's somewhere else. Don't fool yourself. You can't have divided worship. God wants all of your worship. And if he doesn't have all of your worship, then he doesn't have your full worship. And you're loving something else. And Jesus says, you can't love both God and money. You can't do it. You can't do it. There's people here at church, many of you, who've said, you know what? I'm going to honor you, God. And it's much more than a tithe. Some people give above and beyond their tithe. It's much more than a tithe. The Pharisees believed in tithing as well. It's much more than that. It's this attitude of, God, I just love you, and I love your church, flawed and all. I love your church. I, I, I just love you, and it's an extension of my worship to you, God, and you're so good. It's this heart of worship to God. And we have um, people who make these decisions. Cool thing, I, in my position, um, I was, you showed me a picture holding up that staff, and sometimes it's hard, but, but, but there's also, I also have a front row, row seat to God moving. And for me, my payday <laughs> is just hearing how God's moving in a life. You want to make my day? Just tell me how God's moving in your life, truthfully. It excites me. It excites me. Trying to be faithful and want to be faithful. And when I hear God moving in a life, you just want to encourage me. Just tell me what God's doing in your life. Tell me about an area that you're surrendering or consecrating to God. And that just is, as a pastor, that is incredibly encouraging. You want to encourage another pastor? Just tell them what God is doing in your life. Tell them how their ministry has impacted you. And every once in a while, someone comes up to me and says, Hey, Pastor Reuben, I just want you to know I made this faith step and I decided to honor God with my finances. And I'm like, woo, it's just right here. Yeah, I'm just so excited. I'm like, wow, tell me how God moves. And then we have, might have someone else in the church that just loves on someone else just because, just because. Um, Tawny is one that I want to talk about. Tawny plays the violin. She's a, it's ironic very providential that she's on the worship team this weekend. This wasn't planned. And, and, and she's uh, playing over here. Now, all these worship team members have a story of grace. All of them do. And, and her story, and part of her story involves money. She's a fish doctor. She's, she's going to school to be a fish doctor. It's so cool. If you were to know the best fishing spots, you should talk to her in Colorado. She'll tell you. But uh, well, I don't know if she will. But anyway, so uh, but she, she's, she's in school, and she's learning to walk with God and in a beautiful, beautiful way. She drives from Fort Collins to come to Thorn Creek Church. Think about that. For some of you, think you drive a long distance. Drive from Fort Collins to come to Thorn Creek Church. She served last night. She drove back home to Fort Collins last night and came back this morning to serve God here. Incredible. And um, she's surrendered herself to God. It's beautiful. I want to give you an opportunity. I want to show you a video here of Tani just a little bit. I want to give you an opportunity first. Some of you, maybe it's about your love. Maybe God's stirring your heart or maybe God's stirring you to honor him Maybe it's about the love of money, or maybe you need to start honoring him with a full tithe. And, and I just want to say, let this be a life choice, not a one-weekend choice. Make it a life choice. 
God has been so faithful. I've been doing it since I've been 18 years old. I remember when Grace first talked to me about a tithe. I said, I've never heard that word before in my life. What does that mean? She said, well, that means you honor God with 10%. I was like, she said, because God, it's, an, it's a way to express your worship to God. And I was 18 years old, and I was, I think I was ma- making maybe $400 a month or something like that. I was like, I could do that. Parents, let me tell you something. Show your children your tithe. Show your children what you are doing. Let them see you honor God with that check. Whether it's on, on the computer or you're writing it old school, whatever it is, let them see you because you're giving them an example of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Say, come on over here. I want you to see what I'm doing. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you honor God. And this way they learn to honor God when they're making $100 a month or 40 bucks for babysitting or whatever it is. You teach them early on what it looks like to honor God. Let them see it. Just let them see it. Not to brag, but to show them, to be an example. Well, let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you, God. And if you're here this morning and maybe your first step is to receive Jesus Christ in your heart, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my God. Forgive me for my sins. I repent of them and I turn to you with all of my heart. Others of you might need to say this prayer. God, I want to put my whole trust in you today. You know, God, I love you but I'm realizing my my love is conditional. And I want to learn to be content. I want to live a godly life. And I want to be content. And I want to have my full faith in you, God. So I'm going to start honoring you, God. Not just one weekend. Not just based on circumstances. Not only if I have leftovers. I just want to put my faith in you, God. And I'm going to worship you with everything, even my money, God. I say my money, you're the one who's given it. You're the one that has provided the opportunity. You're the one that has opened the door. And I'm going to honor you, God. And I vow to do whatever you want me to do. I'll be obedient, God. I'll give as you lead me to give. I'll put you first, God. Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I am a planner. I like to have things written out. Um, I want to know what's going to happen. And God has told me, no, (laughs) you can't plan it because my plan is so much better. Um, Let's see. So right after I was baptized, I was in a financial hole. Um, I was in debt $10,000 on credit cards. And I was freaking out wouldn't be able to pay rent that that day and or that month and um, I got a phone call from my dad he called me and said I feel like you're in some trouble and I was like yeah I am and I told him all the debt and he was like well he's like I'm gonna pay it all off and I was like what he's like yeah I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars right now because I don't want you, I want you to be happy he paid it off I'm paying him back but at, well now I've paid him back it's all paid off ten thousand dollars and three years or two years. Um, It's crazy. And so that was the first miracle, I guess you want to say, that I saw. And then shortly after that, um, I found out that I had to move out of my house 
and it was like less than 30 day notice. The owners, they um, were going through financial trouble themselves and so they just really needed to sell the house. And I had no place to go. And it was literally a day for me being homeless. And um, Pastor Jeremy put on the Thorn Creek Facebook page, hey, we, need, we have somebody in our church. Um, she really needs a place to stay. And he called me that night at like 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, why is my pastor calling me? I was scared. I didn't answer. <laughs> like, don't show him that. <laughs> but, um, I was like, what is going on? And then I like listened to the voicemail. And he's like, Tony, Tony, I have a place for you to stay. A family in the church wants you to stay with them, you and your dog. And I was like, what? I can't, I don't even know who these people are. So the next day I, I went and met this family and it was Mike and Julie Ray, and they were like, what do you need? And I was like, well, I'm literally homeless by noon today. And um, they were like, no, you're not. You're going to stay with us. I was like, well, I have a crazy dog. And they're like, no, you're going to stay with us. And so I did. Um, they opened their home to me, and it was six months that I lived there. And it, it was more than just a place to live. Um, I feel like God really used them to show me what a Christian home is supposed to be like. And then at one point, um, I had this conviction of like, I need to do more for God. Tithing is hard, especially as a grad student. I don't make a lot of money <laughs> and it's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, this conviction of tithing, it's every month. It's not something that's easy for me. And sometimes I, I literally can't do it and God reminds me that I can. First time I was like, I can't do this. There's no way I can give that much money up. And I just felt God staring in my heart and I was literally sitting in the parking lot uh, right before service one day and I heard God say, grab your checkbook. I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> and, um, but my, my checkbook's never in my car either. <laughs> and, but it was that day, so I grabbed it and I wrote out the check for the whole tithe and that I gave, put it in the offering bucket. And I just felt, I kind of felt a little awful, like, wow, I, I don't know how I'm gonna go grocery shopping tomorrow. And um, literally the next day, I got a letter in the mail from my grandma. And no special um, occasion, it wasn't my birthday, it's not Christmas or anything, um, but that check was written up for the exact amount that I wrote a check out to Thorn Creek. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna die, <laughs> like God takes care of you. And um, even, even this month, this month has been one of the hardest financial months in a while. And um, like last week I was waiting and waiting, um, or I, I was waiting for Friday to come around to get paid. And I was like, there's no way I can tithe. There's no way I'm gonna be able to pay my bills. And literally every, down to the penny is exactly what I had in my bank account. With God, like, things are possible. And when you truly surrender to God and kneel down before Him, give it all up to Him and open your heart, it's, that's when He shows you His blessings. And that's when all of His love comes down on you. And be faithful to Him and be obedient to Him and have fear in Him. Because that's when you'll really learn and know His love. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.